testimony, Lord, be infectious and lead somebody else to Christ. And we pray you bless our Bible study now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let me just walk over here and hit another button. All right. Pay no attention to that man behind the camera. Uh, right. I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Judges, chapter 8. All right. Let's see. Let's see. <clears throat> Judges, chapter 8. Judges 8. We're studying through the books of the Bible, and we're up to finishing up the book of Judges. And we're in Judges, chapter 8. And I just want to correct something. I think I said a few weeks ago, um, the way people number the judges, or everybody's got their own numbering system. Um, there are at least 12 people that delivered Israel. The ones I circled were the ones that are actually called judges. They actually judged. Some people say they're all judges. I'm just going with what the Bible says. You want to make your own list. But there's definitely 12 deliverers. The ones that are circled in blue were definitely called, they judged Israel. The 13th one, Abimelech, was a bad guy. No doubt that he was number 13, or he's the 13th one on the list. Um, I didn't mention, I left out, I mentioned Othniel last week, Ehud, and I skipped, I went right to Deborah. I forgot to mention Shamgar, so he called me up. He said, yo, man, you forgot to mention me. So with a name like Shamgar, I had to put him in there. So that's up there. So Judges chapter 8. Now Judges is a very sad book. And it's a very depressing book, <clears throat> and not a lot of people like to preach on it because it's not exactly the most uplifting book in the Bible. Uh, it's about failure. It's about incomplete obedience. It's about the children of Israel just making a mess for their inability and their compromise to not do what God said to do. And I'll show you how easy it is to slide into that idolatry. Judges chapter 8, verse 24. Judges 8, 24. He's talking about Gideon. Now, Gideon has just reaped a great victory. We would say, wow, Gideon, you threshed the Midianites. He's a real great guy. And in verse 24, it says, And Gideon said, Judges 8, 24, And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. So take the earrings off all the guys you killed. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian. And beside the chains that were about the camel, their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city even in Ophrah, and all Israel went thither a-whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his home. So Gideon was a great guy. Gideon did something great for Israel, but even Gideon slid into idolatry. He took the earrings off the people he vanquished. He made a little idol, and that idol screwed everybody up, messed everybody up. They went a-whoring. They got distracted and caught by that idol. So Judges is a book of warning. Beware, it is so easy to slide into idolatry and slide into incomplete obedience. And incomplete obedience is disobedience. And that's what Judges is about. You say, why? What was the key verse of the book of Judges? There's no king in Israel. And when there's no king in Israel, everybody does what's right in his own eyes. And when everybody's doing what's right, in his own eyes, you get the United States, I mean, you get chaos, right? That's what you get. You get just chaos and anarchy, and that's what happens. And, and in a, a spiritual way, when Jesus Christ is not king in your heart, and you're doing what you think is right, you're going to fall into compromise, and you're going to fall into confusion. And that's what Judges reminds us of. So let's go to chapter 9, and we'll just keep motoring along here. Judges chapter 9. We did the first seven chapters last time. It just touched on chapter 8. Chapter 9 is about Abimelech. Abimelech, his name is down here, even though he pops up. Whoa, even though he pops over there. If the ceiling falls on me, just let me know, because I don't know what else is to happen. The wire's not working. The board fell over. You know, I don't know what's, what else is happening here. Right? This is probably not being recorded. We're going to get abducted. I don't know what's happening. All right? But it's, it's you showed up, right? Did you, did you bring the gasoline? Let's go the way. Let's burn it all. All right, but anyway, um, 
Abimelech is a type of Antichrist. He's a bad guy. Not a good guy at all. A type of the Antichrist. And if you look at verse 9, it's interesting. I'm sorry, verse 1, chapter 9. It's interesting. After Gideon, who's a type of Jesus Christ, who shows up? A type of Antichrist. Because every time God is doing something, the devil is always right there to oppose him. And it's illustrated right here. You got Gideon, reaps a great victory. Who comes nipping on his heels? A guy that is a type of the devil and a wicked guy named Abimelech. Please learn that in your own lives. Right? When you get a victory, the devil wants to come and steal your joy. When you get two steps forward, the devil wants to knock you three steps back. Please don't be spiritually stunad. Learn that lesson that the devil is always looking to frustrate what God is doing in your life. And here's a great illustration of it. Verse 1 of chapter 9. And Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, that was another name for Gideon, Jeroboam, went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren and communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, whether is better for you, either that all the sons of Jeroboam, which are threescore and ten persons, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. See, Abimelech, he starts schmoozing them. Well, what's better for you? You want all Gideon's sons to reign? Or you want me to reign? Because I'm your brother, man. I'm one of your brothers. I'm one of your peeps. I'm one of your boys. Don't you want me to... I'm going to take care of you. You know what? Abimelech is a lot like the devil. He's a lot like the Antichrist. Because he claims to have your best interest at heart. Weather is better for you. That's how the devil rolls, man. Now it's how he's going to seduce the world. Hey, this is going to be better for you. I want to take care of you. And verse number three, look what happens. And his mother's brethren spake of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem. All these words. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he is our brother. Right? He is our brother. So Abimelech, you know what he does? He sides with the people and he steals their hearts. That's just like Absalom. Absalom does the same thing. That's how the devil always works. What are we living in? We're living in Laodicea. You know what Laodicea means? The rights of the people. For the people. And this guy was for the people. He said, man, I want to take care of you. I want to hook you up. I'm one of you. Guys, you should back away and hold on to your wallets when somebody says, I'm only in this for you. I'm doing this for you. I just That scares me. I don't trust, especially a politician. Politician says, we're doing this for you. I run the other direction because you know that person's a charlatan and a snake. It's only for them. And the devil is the chief of that stuff, man. He's coming along. I'm your brother. I'm your friend. And he appeals to their desires and he steals their hearts. And that's what the God wants. God wants your heart. What do you say in Proverbs? My son, give me thine heart. You know, I, I get to preach in messages like I did on Sunday, and maybe it makes you nervous, but, you know, I never said anything you had to do. I never said you had to give any money or join anything or donate any time. You know what we were aiming for? The heart. Amen. You know what God's always aiming for? The heart. You know what God says? My son, give me thine heart. You know what Abimelech steals over here? Their hearts. You know what Absalom steals in a few chapters later? Their hearts. You know what the devil wants? He doesn't want your wallet. He doesn't want your time. He doesn't want your talent. The devil wants the same thing that God wants. Your heart. Because if God gets your heart, He's got you. And if God gets your heart, He's got everything about you. And if the devil gets you to lean your heart to Him, well then, He's really stuck a thumb in God's eye. Because he's just stolen what's most precious to God the Father, our Father. So, man, if the enemy could get your heart, he's got you, and he's got what God wants from you. So, we're not going to read all of this, but in, in verses 7 to 20, there's a long thing with Jotham. A lot of Bible names, I know. But Jotham shows up, and he's, well, he's, he's Gideon's youngest son. And he escapes Abimelech's tyranny and he starts to prophesy. And he says, hey, I'm going to tell you this parable 
about these trees that wanted to anoint a king over them. He says, you know, there was a, the, the olive tree and the fig tree and the vine tree, and then there was this bramble. And if you look at verse number 14, the trees in this parable are electing a tree to reign over them, right? And in verse number 14, look who they pick. Then said all the trees unto the bramble, come thou and reign over us. So they choose bramble. You know what bramble is? Bramble is a rough, tangled, prickly shrub. I don't know if you've come across any of these things. Uh, I was looking them up, what they look like. Just like a prickly bush, a prickly with thorns in it, just like good for nothing, other than just tend to catch your socks or something like that while you're walking through it. Just a prickly shrub. That's Abimelech. Abimelech is the bramble. And he's that good for nothing little guy that's going to catch you. And look what he says is going to happen in verse 15. If you choose the bramble, if you choose Abimelech to be your king, 15. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. You know, Jotham prophesies that your choice is going to burn you in the end. If you pick that bramble, who's Abimelech, that wicked guy to be your king, you're going to get burned. And that, that's the preacher right there. You know what that is? That's God's warning, brethren. That's God's loving warning. That if you make the wrong king lord of your life, it's going to burn you in the end. Like the bramble said, if you choose me, fire is going to come out and devour you. And that's what happens. And let's see what happens to old Abimelech. Let's look at verse 53. Am I making sense any, so far? Am I being loud enough, Daniel? Am I loud enough? Men's and men's, I got to be louder? All right. I got to blast it. I got to blast it. Got to reach for the diaphragm and buy a new cord. This is not, this is all. Yeah, the cord's messed up. Uh, Judges 9.53. And a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone upon, no, it doesn't work. We've tried everything. Upon Abimelech's head, and all to break his skull. So this woman comes out from the wall, drops a huge stone on Abimelech's head, and busts his head. You say, what's that a picture of? Because a woman, the seed of a woman, remember? The seed of a woman is going to bruise the serpent's head when Jesus Christ comes back. So here's another type of Antichrist who gets his head busted like Jesus Christ is going to bust the serpent's head when he returns. So that's Judges chapter 9. Let's look at Judges chapter 10. We don't have a lot in Judges chapter 10. Um, Judges chapter 10, uh, verse 1 and 2 just mentions Tola. Right, This guy Tola, he judges Israel 23 years. And then verse 3 talks about Jair, he delivers Israel and judges Israel for 22 years. But at the end of the chapter, if you look at verse 6 of chapter 10, there's a great picture of how to get right with God. And that's really a big part of the book of Judges, making a mistake and then making it right. Look at verse 6. Here's how you get right with God. Um, it says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtoreth and the gods of Syria, and the gods of Zidon, and the gods of Moab, and the gods of the children of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines, and forsook the Lord, and served not Him. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and He sold them into the hands of the Philistines, and into the hands of the children of Ammon. And that year they vexed and oppressed the children of Israel. Eighteen years. All the children of Israel that were on the other side, Jordan, in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead, moreover, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was sore distressed. I want you to see the pattern. Here's the pattern of failure and making it right with God. See verses 6 to 9? That's Israel in apostasy. That's Israel going far away from God. Look what happens to them. It says in verse number 8, they're vexed. It says in verse 8, they're oppressed. And it says in verse number 9, they were sore distressed. Can I tell you, that's what happens to you 
when you wander far from God. You're going to get vexed. You're going to get oppressed. You're going to get sore, distressed. That's what happened to the children of Israel back then. And so look at verse 10. In verse 10, God sends a rebuke. And it's pretty hard. Stop. Right? It's pretty hard. Verse 10. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against thee, both because we have forsaken our God and also served Balaam. And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the children of Ammon and from the Philistines, the Zidonians also, and the Amalekites, and the Manites did oppress you, and ye cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand. Yet ye have forsaken me and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. You know, God's not a fool. <laughs> I mean, he says in the book of Galatians, God is not mocked, right? I mean, so they kept making a mistake, God helped them. Making a mistake, God helped them. And God kind of steps in, he kind of does a little Italian 45, like, you know, does a little of this, he says, hey, I saved you from Egypt, I saved you from this guy, I saved you from that guy, I saved you from this one, and I saved you from this one, and you still keep going a whoring from me. You still can't... Can you hear the Father's heart in those verses? I know I'm being loud to like speak over the air conditioning, but can you like hear the Spirit of God in those verses saying, why are you doing this? Like, why when I died on the cross and went to hell for you and delivered you from so great a death and doth deliver, why do you keep stepping out on me? And then coming back to me with all your problems. He says, I don't want to, I'm not going to help you anymore. You see what he says in 14? He says, go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. That's God just being real plain. That's God just saying, all right, you want to serve Ashtoreth? You want to serve Balaam? You want to serve sex? You want to serve pleasure? You want to serve money? You want to serve the world? You want to serve your friends? You want to serve your girlfriend? You want to serve your boyfriend? You want to serve the job? You want to serve everybody else with me? Go to them. When the doctor gives you the bad diagnosis, go to them when somebody's on a hospital bed. Go to them when the cemetery calls. Go to them. See if they can deliver you in the time of your distress. I mean, that's not me. That, that's God saying that. That's God like, you keep like, you keep punking me. And God's like, you know, like I said, he's not like a little drunk Santa Claus. You know, <laughs> you know I'm just here whenever you need me. You know, you know back in the old church, We'd put him in a little box. Remember that, my Catholic friends? He'd live in the little box. We'd take him out. We'd hold him up. We'd put him back in the box. God in the box. Your box would open up. you take him out. Hold him up. Ring the bell. Ding! Put him back in the box. Close the box. Leave. And God stayed in the box. It was a great day of God in the box. Right? We just put God in the box. And we enjoyed God in the box. But God's not in a box. He says, I don't dwell in temples made with hands. He's like, I fill heaven and earth. I don't want you to put me in a little box and you're going to come get me? Like you're going to pick up the bat phone? God, I need you now. Something happened. All right, no, God's like, I want to walk with you and talk with you and I want to be a part of your life because I saved you so you could know me and walk with me and dwell with me. And God's like, hey, hello, I'm over here. And But here's how good God is. Verse 15. What do you think Israel did? They kept crying, Right? Now, in verses 15 and 16 is how you can get right with God. Even though that's a, that's a pretty tough message, what he said right there. Would you agree? That's pretty like in your face. Like, wow, God, that was pretty strong, but warranted. But he says in verse 15, And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned. That's a great start. That's the first thing you got to do to make something right with God. Number one, acknowledge your mistake. Acknowledge your sin, Right? God says, hey, you've been stepping out on me. You know what they say? Yeah, we have sinned. <laughs> That's a good thing to do. Number one, acknowledge your sin, man. Hey, if the Holy Spirit's bugging you right now about something, you know what would be the dumbest thing to do? Ignore it. Hide it. That's all right. No, you could sit here in your mind right now. Lord, I have sinned against you. I've messed up. I've made a mistake. I haven't been what I should have been. I haven't been what I could have been. And look what happens in verse 16. Number two, and they put away the strange gods from among them. Hey, once you acknowledge that you've sinned, then put away the sin. 
Don't go right back to it. Just say, God, I've been messing up. I want to put this out of my life. I want to try to get rid of this. I want to get victory over this. They made an effort, number two. And look at number three. Number three. And look how the verse finishes. And serve the Lord. Amen. That's a great threefold outline for how to get right with God. Acknowledge your sin, verse 15. Put away the sin, verse 16. Serve God again, verse 16. That's a great little pattern right there. But I want you to see the end of verse 16 because that is an amazing thing about God. The end of verse 16 should make us all praise the Lord and like stand in awe. Because here's a nation that had seen God's miracles. He's telling them, you're being a punk. You're being like an adulterous wife to me. You keep stepping out on me. You come to me again. I'm going to deliver you. And look what it says. End of verse 16. And his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. Woo! Israel grieved God, but God is grieved for us even when he's grieved by us. You understand that? That is mercy. That is long-suffering. That is compassion. That is grace. That is tenderness. You know who that is? That's my God. That you make a mistake. You keep making it. You know you're making it. God tells you, you're making it. You know you're making it. And God says, I look at you making the same mess over and over and over again. You know what God does? God feels bad for you. You've slandered His name. You've blown his testimony. You shouldn't mention you're a Christian within 100 feet of another human being for the rest of your life because of all the mistakes you've made. You know what God does? God says, yeah, I know you really blew it for me, but I really feel bad how much you're making a mess of things. That's some serious, okay? That's some serious mercy, man. That should make all of us just repent and come to him again. I feel like repenting right now and say, Lord, thank you, Lord. You know, because somebody messes up with me and I'm like, I'm, I'm ready like this. You know, told you so, right? That's what we want to be like. Look at you. Look at the mistake you made. Look at this. What's the matter with you? God says, he's more concerned with you. (laughs) He feels so much for you, such love and care for his people, that he's grieved. His soul was grieved. He's watching them pine away and making a mess of their lives, and his soul and his heart is broken. That's amazing, God. That's a, wow, 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 wow. Let's keep going. Verse chapter 11. Now, chapter 11 to the beginning of chapter 12 gets to our next deliverer, Jephthah. I think I'm down here. Jephthah. All right, Jephthah. And he judged Israel six years. And uh, Jephthah's not a great guy. Did you hit it? Is it on? It just came on? Oh. You turned it on? The woman thou gavest me. <laughs> Guys lose things and women find things, right? No, keep going. Go to work, honey. Do it, all right? Anyway, I don't, I don't know. If this, am I coming through at all? Sounds good? All right. It's, it's better than before. If, if Danny likes it, then that's us get the stamp of approval, all right? Because I don't have to shout for the next 20 minutes. That would be wonderful. Um, excellent. That's a, that's a Bible principle, by the way, folks. Men lose things. It says Eve found the tree, right? That's how it happens. Where are my keys, honey? Right here. That's how it happens. You can't do it. She's going to find it. All right? Uh, where would be without women? Probably still in the Garden of Eden. But anyway, no, I'm only joking. I'm only, I just had a kid. I'm only serious. So Jephthah's a bad dude. You know what Jephthah pictures? Jephthah pictures Christianity today. Christianity today is good old Jephthah. You know what Christianity today is? Christianity today is spiritual, but not scriptural. Jephthah also pictures all the Laodicean pastors, all the Laodicean ministers, all the people that get up and preach today. They all claim to be Christian, but they're not biblical. That's what we got. That, that's Jephthah. I'll show you in a minute. That's Jephthah. Jephthah pictures, you know what else he pictures? The super spiritual religious guy. The super spiritual Pharisee whose pride destroys everything. Now, they're going up against the Ammonites, and let's jump into verse 29. So Jephthah is going to get ready to fight the Ammonites. And it says in 29, 
Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. So the, God gives Jephthah some supernatural ability, right? The Spirit of God actually comes upon him and gives him some ability to fight these people that he didn't have before. It wasn't his ability. It wasn't his strength. It was God's strength coming upon him. That's what God did in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit didn't live inside of people in the Old Testament. He came upon somebody and he went. He came and went. And he came and went. Because he wasn't sealed like we are in this New Testament dispensation. But he came upon him and Jephthah's ready to go. And then Jephthah does something that is really dumb. Maybe Jephthah thought, wow, look at me. I got the Spirit of God on me. Man, he, look at my halo, you know. He must have seen the sparrows flying around his head, walking around, you know, look at me. And he says something that sounds really good, but is spiritually very stupid. Verse 30, And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. He says, God, if you help me beat these Ammonites, the next thing that walks in my door, I'm going to kill it and give it to you. Now, that's the super spiritual Pharisee. Because that sounds really good, right? Wow, that sounds really spiritual. Whatever walks in that door, you're going to give it to God. But God didn't ask him to do that. It sounds really good. But that's not what God asked him to do. You see what happens in verse 34? He gets the victory, and guess who walks in the door? His daughter. 34. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels. She's applauding daddy's victory. She's out there cheering him on and with dances. And she was his only child. She was his, uh, Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low. And thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. I want you to notice that the daughter walks in, you know what he says? Oh, honey, why do you have to walk in? He starts blaming her. Jephthah blames his daughter because he's blinded by his stupid, stupid pride. What does his daughter do? His daughter came home to cheer for her daddy who just wrought a great victory in Israel. And he said something he shouldn't have said. And he's like, oh, you brought me very low. And he says, I can't go back. Wait, wait a minute. Back the truck up a little bit, Jephthah. Why couldn't Jephthah go back? Why couldn't he say, oh, my goodness, my mouth said so. I shouldn't have said that. I don't want to kill my only child that God gave me. What am I thinking? The Lord never wanted something like that. Why couldn't he go back? You know why he couldn't go back? Because he was proud. He was proud. He wanted to be the super spiritual Pharisee. He wanted to be so, I vowed a vow to God. You know Leviticus chapter 5 says that if you say something you shouldn't have said before God, God will forgive it. And you could take it back. There's a contingent. If you vow a vow to God that you shouldn't have vowed, God has a contingency where he's going to let that slide. And Jephthah, if he was spiritual and known, like, what was I thinking? What was I thinking saying this? You know, Jephthah also reminds me of, he reminds me of all those ministers and all those pastors who will let their family go to hell while they run the ministry. That's Jephthah, right? Well, I reaped a great victory, honey, and I'm just going to have to let you get burned because... I vowed a vow to the Lord. No, 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 no. That's not how it goes, guys. And in verse 39, is so sad. And people go back and forth about it. Did Jephthah really kill her? I mean, it's a little bit of a debate. It looks like he really killed her. I mean, look at 39. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. And she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel. Jephthah is an idiot. I don't want to be like Jephthah. I know his name's in the Bible, but I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be so 
ultra-separated, super-spiritual, proud, full of myself and my ministry and my vows to God that I let my family and my friends around me get burned because I gotta, can't go back. Why couldn't you go back? Hey, husbands, say something dumb this week, I'll say amen for you. You know what you do when you say something dumb? Take it back. <laughs> And say, I'm sorry. And you know, I shouldn't have said that. Don't sit there on your hobby horse and say, well, I'm the king and I spoke and it is decreed. You know, ex cathedra. No, we don't talk like that, right? We're frail. We're foolish. We're dumb. We get in the flesh. We say something stupid. Take it back. Look, I left out one of the judges last week. I said, oh man, I got to start by apologizing. I skipped a guy. Hey, no harm, no foul. You say you're sorry. I made a mistake. I misspoke. And forgive me, and you go forward. Not like this dim poop. You know who Jephthah must have thought he was like? He must have thought he was like Abraham. Because Abraham was challenged by God to sacrifice his only son, right? He must have thought, well, I'm going to show my faith now. I'm going to sacrifice my only daughter. Guess what? God wasn't within a hundred miles of what Jephthah was doing. God didn't send an angel to stop the knife. God let Jephthah do whatever Jephthah wanted to do because God was nowhere dealing with Jephthah because Jephthah was too full of himself to be thinking about God. He said, why would this happen? What a twisted book Judges is when there's no king. When there's no king, there's no final authority. And you start doing what you think is right, and I start doing what I think is right, and she starts doing what she thinks is right, and we're all going to kill each other. We'll bite and devour each other. Don't ever give up your final authority. Because in the church age today, the church is a mess because there's no king. The King James Bible is our king. This is what rules and reigns in our hearts. This is our final authority. I don't lay four Bibles on the pulpit and say, I like what the ESV says, but I like it in the Amplified. And look what it says over here in the Holman Christian Standard. No, those things are good for like rolling doobies and burning them up. That's what that's good for, right? Don't really rob me and joke. I'm joking, right? right? That's all they're good for, right? Right, yeah. It's good for... Kindling, that's what it's good for, kindling, right? But when there's no king in Israel, all right? Don't worry, we're not in Oregon, don't worry. We're not doing anything crazy here, all right? Now, chapter 12 is pretty easy. Chapter 12, we just got a few judge, a deliverers mentioned. It mentions Ibzan in chapter 12. He judged Israel seven years. It mentions Elon, who judged Israel ten years. And it mentions um, Abdon, who judged Israel Eight years. But I want to get to chapter 13. Because our last guy here is Samson. Woo! Hold on to your seats. <laughs> Samson's a tough one. All the way from 13, all the way through 16 is all about Samson. And it says he judged Israel 20 years. That's why I circled his name. He's called a judge. And he means a lot of different things. Historically, Samson was a real person. Right? I know he was a show in Lancaster, but Samson was a, was a judge. Right, that uh, was raised up to deliver the Israel from the Philistines. Philistines were bad, bad, bad guys. Uh, doctrinally, he's a picture of the nation of Israel, who's always compromising and commingling with all the nations around them, like Samson kept going into women from other nations around them. That's a picture of Israel. But spiritually, you know who Samson is? The Laodicean Christian. Because he ends up the same way Laodicea ends up. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's Samson. Now look at uh, chapter 13, verse 7. So what's so special about Samson? Why does he get so much airtime from God? Samson had the vow of a Nazarite upon his life. 13, 7 uh, the Lord's speaking to him through an angel to his mom and says at the end of verse 7, For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So this kid was going to have a special ministry with God. A Nazarite, not a Nazarene, right? Uh, Jesus was called a Nazarene, but Samson was a Nazarite. It was a special vow that God had on you. And in Numbers chapter 6, there were three things you had to know about a Nazarite. Number one, a Nazarite was not allowed to eat or drink anything from the vine. 
All right, that's that should stop you for a second. All right, you shouldn't be messing around with stuff from a vine either. All right, so number two, a Nazarite was supposed to cut his hair. Was not sorry. Was not supposed to cut his hair. You say why? So he'd look different. So he'd stand out to people. So people would know there's something different about you. There's something different about you. God wants people to be able to see other people to see that there's something different about you. The Nazarite let his hair grow so he would bear that shame for God, right? Because it's a shame for a man to have long hair, but he wore that long hair to bear that shame that he was set apart for God. Number three, he was not supposed to touch or come at anything that was dead. Got it? Those are the three things. You got those three things? No vine, no haircut, and no dead bodies. All right, now that's what happens. Now, what happens if he breaks that vow? Because it would happen, right? What if, you know, what if you go out, you're out in the field and you come across a dead cattle? Now you come near a dead body. You've been defiled, right? What if you walk through a vineyard? You've been defiled. What if somebody gives you a high seed juice box and it's grapes and you're like, oh no, I've been defiled, right? They would break the vow and God had something for them to do. If they broke the vow, here's what you had to do. You had to give God four things. You had to give God a he lamb for a burnt offering. That was a male. You had to give God a you lamb for a sin offering. That was a female. You had to offer a ram for a peace offering. And you had to get a haircut. Start all over again. So you had to give three offerings, a, male, a, a he lamb, a you lamb, a ram, and then cut your hair because then everybody would know you broke your vow and you start all over again. Now let's go to chapter 14. Let's see what happens to good old Samson. So Samson's got that vow. You remember? What is he not supposed to go near? Vine. He's not supposed to come at any dead bodies. And the third thing? Don't cut your hair. And if he did, how many things he got to do? Four things. Okay, you got that? Very good, class. Very good. There'll be a test at the end. I'm getting ready. All right, chapter 14, verse 5. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the, what's the next word say? The vineyards of Timnath. <laughs> so here's a guy that's not supposed to have anything to do with grapes or vines, and he takes a shortcut through a vineyard. He's already going in the wrong direction, right? And it says, and behold, a young lion roared against him. So Samson went where he wasn't supposed to go. He went into a vineyard. Please note the direction that he's going. It says in verse 5, Then went Samson down. And when you start going where God says not to go, you is going down. All right? Again, this is Bible study. I know it's a lot at the end of the day. I'm just throwing up, shooting some buckshot, and whatever hits you, hits you. But I'm throwing mud at the wall. I'm going fast. I know i got a little bit of time left, but stay with me now. I'm going somewhere here. All right? So Samson went where he wasn't supposed to go, a vineyard. He was going down. Look at the verse 5. What happens next? A lion appears, a roaring lion. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. In the vineyard where Samson was not supposed to be is where the lion almost got him. Because the roaring lion is going to get you when you are where you shouldn't be. Nobody got in trouble going to church on a Sunday morning. Nobody got in too much trouble going to prayer meeting. Nobody hooked up with the wrong person on their way to Bible study. Usually doesn't happen. Please don't be the exception that proves the rule. But it usually doesn't happen like that. Where you are where God wants you to be, right? When a husband is with his wife and loving her the way he should be, and a wife is with her husband loving him in the way she should be, usually there aren't too many problems. But when you start spending too much time with the boys, and she starts spending too much time with the girls, you know what usually happens? Something, something creeps in there and that lion likes to slip his foot in the door and start roaring. When you are where you shouldn't be, be sure the lion is not far away seeking whom he may devour. Am I preaching to anybody tonight? I mean, it's just, it's a sad truth. Now look what happens. Verse 8. Now, luckily, Samson rocks this lion. He rips the thing apart. Right? God has mercy. 
But look at verse 8. And after a time, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. Now, class, I'm a Nazarite. A carcass means that lion is dead. dead. I'm not supposed to go anywhere near that lion, right? Not supposed to touch it, come near it. Verse 9. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating. And came to his father and mother, and he gave them, and they did eat. But he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. See, Samson touched a dead body and broke his vow. See that? He comes over it. Now, how'd he do it? With some honey. Now, he killed the lion. It tried to roar. That didn't work. But if the devil can't get you with his roar, he'll get you with his sweets. He'll come at you like, and he's like, oh, no, you're you're ready for that battle. You're prepared for the roaring lion. But, you know, you're just moseying along like Samson. After a time, hey, defense is down. Oh, that's pretty sweet. And it's in, I think it's in the lion's mouth, right? So that lion could could roar, but it also say some things, get inside your ear and poison your ear and say some really sweet things. And he just reached out and touched it. Now, Samson broke his vow. What is Samson supposed to do? Four things. A he lamb, a you lamb, a ram, and cut his hair. Do you think Samson did it? No. Samson did what a lot of us do. When we make a mistake, instead of getting things right with God, right there, and getting clean and saying, Lord, I messed up, gets on the, you know, let's just fix it, let me go forward for you. You know what Samson did? He just kept on. Thinking, you know, what's the big deal? I'll take care of it later. It's just a little sin, just a little disobedience, just a little honey, just a little this, just a little pornography, just a little movies, just a little boozing, just a little whatever, just, just a little whatever it is that you know occupies your time. You know, you don't think you think it's harmless. And God says, You gotta make that right, man. You gotta make that right with me. You're sinning against me. Just a little lion, just a little lust, just a little disobedience. God says, No, 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 I hate sin. We can't fellowship if there's sin between us. You know what you should do? Make it right. God says, just make it right. Keep short accounts with God. Don't let it build up. Make it right. Lord, I screwed up. Lord, forgive me. It's under the blood. Help me to go forward. Help me to get victory over that. Samson doesn't do it. And he pays the price. Listen, guys, look. Nobody's walking on water in here. Amen? Amen. I'm including myself. I'm the first one to say, I ain't walking on water. My kids know I'm not walking on water. You know I'm not walking on water. And you're not walking on water either. The test of a man is not whether you make a mistake. It's what you do when you make a mistake. When you sin, when you stumble, when you fall, what do you do? You just get puffed up with pride and just keep on like Samson or like Jephthah. Or do you make it right with God, humble yourself before Him and say, Lord, I want to be better in this area. The Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. If every day we were judging our own sins before God say, Lord, help me with this, help me with that. I'm being a little too angry here. I'm being a little too covetous here. I'm being a little lackadaisical over here, Lord. Help me with this. God would say, hey, we're communicating now. We're, having a, we're fellowshipping now. I can help you. We have a relationship now. Even though it's about you making mistakes, you can still kind of come to God and work those things out with Him. But Samson just, whoop, goes about his merry way. And Samson learned the hard way that God's going to get his four things. I'm going to show you. He gets them. He gets them by hook or by crook. Ready? I'll show you. Chapter 15, verse 6. I'm not going to read it all. You can read it. Chapter 15, verse 6. Samson's wife at the time and father-in-law are burnt. Remember those first two? A he-lamb and a you-lamb. His father-in-law and his wife get killed by his enemies. As the first two, God says, I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. You can give them to me. I'm going to take them. And there's, there's the first two. Then you go to chapter 16. Look at verse 19. You know what? God says, you better cut that hair. Nope, you better cut that hair. Nope. He says, okay, hey, Delilah, cut his hair. In chapter 16, verse 19, Delilah gives Samson that haircut. Number three, 
His father-in-law dies, his wife dies. And he gets Delilah, Delilah seduces him, Delilah cuts his hair. Oh, one, two, three. You think God's going to get that ram? Oh, he's going to get that ram. He's going to get that fourth thing out of him. You took a chapter 16, verse 29. Samson's got nothing left. He's been shamed. He's sitting there like in their festival. They're all making a mockery of him. There's some perverted stuff going on. He's up there and he's in season 29. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up of the one with his right hand and of the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Can I tell you, with nothing left, Samson offers himself and commits spiritual suicide, and he becomes the ram. You know what a ram does? Just bangs into things. You know what he did? He knocked those pillars down and took himself with it. And God got one, two, three, four. You're not going to beat God. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I wish I could tell you he's a big puff daddy in the sky. He's not. He's holy. And he's love. And he's long-suffering. And he is wonderful. But he's not to be trifled with. He's not to be like, you know, joked around about. He's not to be just like ignored when he says, Look, Samson, make it right with me. Christian. Not you, son. Christians here. Make it right with me. Hey, if there's something between you and God, make it right. Don't make God have to take it out of your hide. Make it right with Him now in peace and quiet. When there is no enmity, you can make it right. If not, if you keep running, He's going to get you. Even if it ends up at the judgment seat of Christ, He's going to get you. You are not going to beat God. You're not going to beat him. If God says you owe me, you're going to get it. Happened to David too. Remember when David snuck out and David took Bathsheba and he was told that parable by Nathan and he said, oh man, that guy's got to pay back fourfold. You know what? He paid back fourfold. David paid back fourfold. So God's going to get him. And, and, you know, look at verse 21 of chapter 16, man. Samson's sorry state shows you three things that sin will do in your life if you don't make it right. Ready in verse 21? This is a good one for your highlighter. 1621. Here's what sin's going to do to you if you don't make it right. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. Number one, sin's going to blind you. Sin's going to blind you. You want to see number two? And brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass. Number two, sin's going to bind you. Sin's going to blind you. Sin's going to bind you. And number three... And he did grind in the prison house, and sin's going to grind you. That's a nice little devotional somewhere, right? Sin's going to blind you, sin's going to bind you, and sin's going to grind you. You're not going to see right, you're going to lose that freedom that you had, and it's just going to wear you out, man, wear you out. Samson is a sad picture of what happens when Israel, in the Old Testament, or a child of God today, keeps going back to the world. Like Samson kept going back to the world. It's a sad picture, but it's just what's in the book of Judges. And finally, this is quick, chapter 17. Now, chapter 17 to 21, if you thought Judges was bad and depressing, I'll be honest with you, I've enjoyed this, but it's a twisted book, man. I'm looking forward to, like, Ruth. All right, Lord willing, Ruth is a nice book next week. You know, a lot of uplifting stuff in there about Ruth. I'm looking, because I'm reading this, I'm like, what am I going to tell these people? This is like, but God's like, look, it's a warning because I love you. I only say this to you because I love you. And God's like, I only say it to you because I love you. And if you thought Judges was bad so far, it's like 17 to 21, God just knocks the wheels off the hub and the thing is just an absolute free fall. 17 to 21 is the depravity of Israel. It's all the anarchy that ensues when there is no king. Chapter 7, here's the breakdown. 17 to 18 is the confusion in the religious world. What happens to the congregation? What happens to the religious life of the nation when you don't have a king? Well, if you read verses 6 to 13, I'm not going to read all those verses in 17, it looks like we got the first Roman Catholic Church being established. That's what it looks like we got. You see 17.5? 
And the man Micah had a house of gods. See verse 10? And this guy Micah said unto him in verse 10, he tells this Levite, Dwell with me and be unto me a father and a priest. (laughs) Sounds a lot like some churches I used to go into. A bunch of gods, a bunch of statues and idols, and some guy that was a priest that called himself father. It's all the way back there in the book of Judges when Israel was in absolute apostasy. And then in chapter 18, Micah gets his stuff stolen. Look at 18.24. Micah said to these people, You have taken away my gods which I made, and the priest, and you are gone away, and what have I more? And what is that ye say unto me? What aileth thee? Hey, somebody stole this guy's religion by stealing his stuff. He took my statues. He took my priest. Padre, what's going on? The guy had nothing. Aren't you glad that they could? we don't have a building and our priest is in heaven? <laughs> There's nothing anybody could take from you if you have Jesus Christ. Nobody could. They could throw you in jail. They could take your Bible away. They could take your freedom away. They could take your building away if you had it. They could take your stuff away. They could take your preacher away. Guess what? If you've got Jesus Christ, they have not taken your religion away one bit. Because your thing is connected spiritually, man. You're connected to Him. So that's the chaos in the religious realm. Chapter 19, oh my goodness, is the chaos in the home. The chaos in the moral life of the nation. And I'm not going to repeat all this, but in 1924, there's there's something going on that sounds a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah. And this guy over here says, Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine. Them will I bring out now, and humble ye them, and do with them what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man do not so vile a thing. It sounds just like Sodom and Gomorrah. This guy is a traveler. This guy takes him into his house. And the men, the children of Belial, are banging on the door because they want to know him in a biblical sense, just like they wanted to know Lot. Uh, They wanted to know those angels in Lot's day. And they're offering up their daughters and the concubine. It's a twisted thing, man. Twisted, twisted, twisted. But you know what the Bible says? As it was in the days of Lot. So shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And that account in Judges 19 is a good picture of the future. Because that wayfaring man is like God on his way to go do something. That man that had the house is like Israel had a house. And all that other stuff is... Oh man, it's wicked stuff. I'll just, I'll just tell you it's a picture of the second coming. I'm not going to go into all the details of it. But just know that before Jesus comes, that sin's going to be very prevalent. It's very prevalent now, and it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get more intense. And in chapter 20 to 21, here's our last idea here, and then I'll just give you some final thoughts and be done. 2021 is the corruption in the state. The politics of the nation get affected. The religious life gets affected, then the home life gets affected, and then the country gets affected. Isn't that how it goes? Your spiritual walk gets affected, then your home gets affected, and then everything outside of that gets affected. That's what's happening here. Man, look at 2013. So, Benjamin is hiding these sodomites. They're harboring them. I think they're like what we call a sanctuary city today, right? They're harboring these wicked sons of Belial who want to do these sick, perverted things to these people. And it says in 13, Now therefore deliver us the men, the children of Belial, which are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and put away evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not hearken to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. Can I tell you right now, there is a civil war in that nation concerning those satanic sodomites? Can I tell you some of the sins of those people are literally ripping your country apart? Have you ever noticed that? How that particular sin like polarizes people? Just like, you know, you got these extremes of let's put the flag on the church to get them to come to church, which is one extreme. And then there's this other extreme that let's go out and hold up signs and say God hates fags. Like both of them are nonsense. And I've been, around the, I've been around both. I've been around the guys that hold the flags on their churches, and I've been around the guys that are so extreme and nasty that I would never want to be around you either. Both extremes are messed up. The truth is right in the middle. But the country's getting ripped apart over that stuff, over this little minority of people. The country's getting ripped apart. That's what's happening in Israel. Isn't that happening today? We're not talking about 
a majority of people. We're talking about a minority of group that I don't want to see harm done to them, but that minority group is literally tearing apart the fabric of your domestic affairs in your country. It's crazy. It's like the Bible's coming true right in front of your eyes. And if you look at verse number 30, they try to go to war with their brethren. And can I tell you that Israel gets the victory on the third day? Isn't that interesting in verse 30? And the children of Israel went up against the brethren of Benjamin on the third day. You know when Israel's going to get the victory? On the third day. Jesus Christ rose again, but you know what he's really talking about? He's talking about the second coming. 1,000 years have passed, that's one day. 2,000 years have passed, almost completely, that's the second day. Jesus Christ comes back in the third day, and he brings victory to Israel in the third day. Phinehas, verse 28, is that priest, that type of Christ that shows up with them to battle. Verse 25, we're going we're gonna to just make some final comments now. Verse 25, I'm going to give you one thing to make your head spin. Verse 25, the, you say, why did this happen? Why did Israel get such, man, religiously, morally, politically, they're, they're shot. By the end of Judges, they are shot. Why? No, it's not geopolitical affairs. It's not, you know, budget cuts. You know what it is? God sums it up in the last verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That is the real reason for all of Israel's failures. No excuses. The reason is you had no king. And when you're a Christian, if you'll be honest, every mistake you ever made is because you didn't submit to the king. You didn't bow your heart to Jesus Christ. And that got you in every problem that ever happened. So what are some big ideas? Let me finish. Go to 1 Kings chapter 6. Let me finish with just a few quick points. Big ideas in the book of Judges. I got a few quick ones. I'm not going to look at verses for all these. But just some big ideas in the book of Judges. Go to 1 Kings chapter 6. First big idea in the book of Judges, if you're taking notes. First big idea in the book of Judges. The book of Judges teaches us, number one, about the law of human collapse. The law of human collapse. Brethren, if God does not intervene, man left to himself is destined to fall apart and ruin everything. Judges teaches us that. God has to keep injecting himself, injecting himself, injecting himself. And if God doesn't inject himself, you're shot. Your marriage is shot. Your church is shot. Your walk with your sanity is shot. If you don't have God in the middle of your life, guess what? Eventually, something's going to fall apart. Something's going to break down. Something's going to just spiritually crumble. And God says, that's a law of human collapse. Left to yourself, you will destroy everything you touch of your wicked hands and god says i got it you need me every day every morning every night keep injecting me into your problems injecting me into your job inject me into your affairs keep injecting me because if you don't inject me into your life and make me the center guess what you're destined for problems judges teaches that number two the need for godly leaders that's the next big idea because when the elders forsake god the people usually follow. That happens in a marriage. That happens in a home. That happens in a church. That happens in a country. When the leader goes corrupt, the thing goes. When a dad isn't who he should be, his children are going to be 10 steps further down the road, further than where they should be. When a husband isn't where he should be, guess what? That family's going to suffer. When a a pastor or an elder isn't what he should be, that church is going to suffer. When a president or a king or a monarch or a leader or a mayor, whoever it is that is your governor, whatever it is, when they're not who they should be, that state, that country is going to suffer. It's a principle. You can't beat it. The book of Judges tells us that. Number three, Judges teaches us the impact of bad choices. If you choose to reject biblical principles, you will pay the price. I take no joy in saying that. I have no sadistic streak because I've paid that price. Right? When you try to beat God, you always get beat. Right? He's not a used car salesman. You're just going to squeeze a few thousand off the price. You know, he, you know, he's going to beat you every time. 
He doesn't want to beat you. He wants to help you and walk with you. He wants to bless you. But if you're going to try to sidestep God, He's going to get in your way. And it might take five years, ten years. I said it before. It might take all the way to the judgment seat of Christ, but you're going to crash into Jesus Christ at some point. You can't beat Him. You might as well just embrace Him now. Number four, and this is the last one. This is the big, I want you to see this. If you don't see anything else about the book of Judges, I'm going to go home on this point. The waste of time when you're not walking with God. I want to show you something now. We're going to do a little math. I know it's late. Some of you have been weed whacking. Some of you have been doing all kinds of stuff. I weed whack today too. All right? But you know what? <laughs> something flew up in my mouth. I've got to keep my mouth shut. Right? But you know, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 says that there are 480 years from Israel coming out of Egypt up until the third year of Solomon. Just watch it right now. It says in 1 Kings 6.1, it says, And it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel will come out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month Ziph, which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. So, 1 Kings, you're with me, right? says from the time they came out of Egypt... Up until Solomon's building the temple, 480 years. Go to Acts chapter 13. Let me show you what some people say is a mistake in your Bible. And then we're going to see where, you, where, where the world says they're mistakes, there are usually great truths for you to grasp. Acts chapter 13. The Apostle Paul <clears throat> is giving the history of Israel. And he's got, he's got, he's got different math, Paul. Watch this. Acts 13, take it from verse 17. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they were as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an high arm brought he them out. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of four hundred and fifty years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now, if you add up the years that Paul mentions, of course I've got a marker that doesn't work, Paul says, no, it was 573 years. And you can add them up. He says, look, he says in verse uh, 13, 17, uh, right? 18, he mentions 40 years. Then he talks about uh, judges for 450 years. Where are we at? We're at 490 now. Then he gives him Saul a king for 40 years, right? We've got, uh, that's a 530. And then David's a king, that's 570. And then you got three years of Solomon, 573 years over the same amount of time. Is that a mistake? Is that a mistake? Like I just knocked the board over? People say that's a scribal error, that's a contradiction in your Bible. Because what is going on today? It's one of those, okay, you're just going to stay like that? You want to stay like that, all right. You're going to stay like that. Paul says that was 573 years from... Egypt to Solomon's fourth year. Uh, King says of 480 years. That's a difference of 93 years. Somebody's not counting right. You want to know where those years come from? Years in the book of Judges when Israel was serving another nation. I'll show them to you. You can write them down. Judges 3.8. Judges 3.8 says they were with the king of Mesopotamia eight years. You can flip there if you want. Judges 3.14 says they were with the king of Moab 18 years. Let's do it. I'll put it right here. Eight. 18. Um, 4.3 says they were oppressed by the king of Canaan 20 years. Uh, Judges 6.1 says they were vexed and taken over by the Midianites for seven years. And Judges 13.1 says 
that they were under Philistine rule for 40 years. Eight and eight, let's see if I can, I'm an English teacher, but let's do some math, all right? You ready? You haven't done some in probably three months, but let's do some. Eight and 18 is 26, 26 and 20 is 46, 46 and seven is 53, 53 and 40 is 93 years. That means God doesn't count the time when you're not walking with Him. That's the biggest thing out of the book of Judges. The wasted time. God says, all those years don't count to me. Historically, yeah, but not to me. And guys, let's, let's end in Ephesians 5. You know what? Ephesians 5 tells us to redeem the time. Because you know what? If you got 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years, 90 years, whatever it is, whatever God gives you this side of the cross, maybe you'll get to be saved for 80 years or you'll be saved for 30 years until the trumpet blows, God willing. You'll have a nice long life until the trumpet blows and He'll take you with Him and we'll all go together. That would be a blessing. But you know what? How many ever years that is, don't you want them to count at the judgment seat? God says they don't count. If you're not walking with me. I didn't say you had to be on the mission field. I didn't say you had to be a pastor. I just said, are you walking with me? Because time not walking with God is wasted time. That's the great lesson of the book of Judges. Fifth, five, Ephesians 5.15 The Bible says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is.